what this shit never landed. Miss throw a tan trouble, never throw our hands on the hanged up. Looking when she hanged in the bed. I'm not can't run. I got shitty answers to give. And what shit this damn luck again? Can't love sick of when you can't trust a friend. Pamper, how they got you amped up to switch bank runs. So all the shit I ran up with twin gangster, swiftly like a panther. I skip handsome. She wanna join a fan club and shit. Hand rubs, my sister said the hands come with it. Phantom, a lot of times I can't judge the real. Can't love this business is cancer. I'm out of state, putting money on the dancer. I know I say some niggas love me in Atlanta. I'm from the gray, high, sunny, like Fanta. Hug me like an anchor. Dummy, I can tell that woman funny, not banter. Ruins getting damper. Niggas just be saying stuff, and that should bring me anger. You can imitate it, but we never get it, thank you. We only see the shit drown, we never get disclaimed. What I put the split down, ain't shit could really save us. All right, we are back, and this week, Quentin, we are the underground king, Cruel. How are you doing this evening? There's a lot going on with that name, and I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Um. UGK. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a UGK. There's a King Cruel. There's a Cruel. There's a there's 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 a lot going on there. It's a, tri- it's a triple entendre. I like it. Yeah. Um. I'm good. I uh, just finished reading uh, Goodnight Poon Poon and uh, it is the most like uh, despair and empty filled I've felt consuming any media since Bojack Horseman so yeah there's that <laughs> that seems <laughs> intense uh, yeah it's a lot it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot going on and I read it and I read it in a Basically, basically in a day. Oh, jeez. So, yeah. How many? Like, just it. How many volumes is that? Um, seven. Oh, seven okay. volumes. The series is a hundred and forty-seven chapters. Okay. Jesus. Yeah. So lot. I read. Uh, <laughs> you no. Know, yeah. It was. It was definitely. Definitely was a lot. Um. I flew through it, and like. The first like twenty plus chapters, like, are good in like setting up the world, but by the time it gets to like into like the late twenties, early thirties, chapter wise, like, story just like picks up and gets like darker and darker and darker as the shit goes on. Uh, uh-huh. I like his I specifically like over the years not looked too much into the series because. I wanted to be surprised whenever I got to it. Like I always like heard about like, oh, like this is dark, it's depressing. But I never like looked into like exactly like what made it that way. So I was like completely like fresh eyed to all of this stuff. And yeah. yeah, it's amazing. It's like a stellar series, but probably will never read that again. <laughs> we'll never, yeah. never read that again. Not one of those. Uh, well, okay. Was this before or after I saw you mention that you were thinking about uh, rewatching BoJack Horseman? Did this, this scratch after. that itch? I guess is, was my question. This was after. Okay. Yeah. So which I never wound up doing that, but now when I read this, I'm like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I think I'm good. 
Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> bojack course my reply. <laughs> Got your sad boy shit out. All right, that's good. Yeah, like okay, um, okay. yeah. This is, <laughs> like okay, this is a nice. like a leap of bojack. Like like by this point, I've watched the show numerous times. I have no to I know what to expect from it. Even though it's going to be sad, like I know what to expect from it. When you're like not expecting to get hit over the head with like some super extremely like sad grotesque shit, it's like oh wow, I need to like think about this for a second. Yeah. Yeah, when it comes out of nowhere like that, it can definitely be something else. Uh we started watching this show and this is funny because I don't, you know, talk about watching stuff. It's called Dark. It's a German uh like kind of sci-fi drama thriller time travel thing um that's on Netflix and uh it was it's kind of the same thing where it's just kind of like did not predict where it was going to go. Um and I think we may have just finished the first series and uh and the, the the ending was just fucking brutal and out of nowhere compared to like kind of what you would have predicted from what it was because it's just kind of it's this kid who's got like you know there's some kind of vague talking about going to therapy and being out of school towards the end of the last school year he disappeared or whatever and they talk about that he had to go somewhere so maybe he was like actually admitted and all this stuff and like you kind of like oh, okay you know it's like kind of that thing and then it's just it goes off the deep end and like i said with the sci-fi stuff and I still haven't seen anything yet because there's multiple like series left that we haven't finished or that we haven't even started. But like in the preview stuff, they show like crazy futuristic looking like technology. And otherwise, everything else has been just like, you know, modern day and then the 80s. And then they just kind of spent a little bit of time in the 50s. And it's kind of like, OK, when is all this crazy futuristic technology coming in? Because we haven't really seen any of it yet, um, except for like this one handheld lamp thing. Um, but yeah, that, that show is actually kind of interesting. It's funny because uh, <laughs> on my other podcast now, they always want to do recommend, the, the other host likes to do recommend things at the end of the show, and I never want to, I never have anything, and then here I am, like, recommending something here. Um, but anyways, uh, where, definitely, where, yeah. Where's where that show on? Like, where, where it's on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix yeah, I'm on. watching on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. I don't recommend what I just mentioned. I don't recommend fair, fair. Uh yeah, say for anyone that actually like actively deals with like depression and like suicidal thoughts, like don't read that shit. Same yeah. like same same warning I would give anyone who uh, would have like watching BoJack Horseman, like probably even a bigger warning. Like this, if, if that's if like that shit like does something to you, don't not read yeah, this. Don't, don't listen to me. Just don't just don't, don't read risk this. It. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it. Got the new bike. Um, I think it has contaminated brake pads on the front, uh, brakes because they squeak really bad, but otherwise it's, everything's good. Um, so that's been nice. Not having a bike is a pain. I really do not like that. Um, just, I get, I guess I just get so much of my, you know, stuff out being able to ride constantly and yeah, that's yeah, like my sure. exercise and everything else. So just in time for <laughs> the cold weather to start hitting, hopefully here pretty soon it'll be raining and then I'll have to deal with that, but whatever. Is it more it's like I haven't. What's up? Is it more comfortable than the old bike or no? Uh, it's about the same. It's kind of nice. Okay. My old bike was a little bit nicer, but this is like basically the same. It's just, you know, a little bit not not as nice. The other bike had hydraulic brakes and uh, and a, a hydraulic uh, air spring on the front suspension. This one doesn't have that. Um, but otherwise, I mean, everything else is pretty comparable. So it's, it's good. Um, Last week, last episode, I guess I should say, big two-part double guest. <laughs> the part with uh, with Jay was definitely 
interesting. Um, and then Joseph talking about uh, the fighting detective show. Did you end up watching any of that? No, I didn't get. A, I did not get a chance to. That's all like uh, on the li- on the list for me. I uh, know that yeah. I'm going to really, really like the show and everything on there. I just didn't get a chance to do it. Yeah, highly recommend checking that out. Um, have you? Do you care about uh, Pillman Junior? Any of that stuff now that he's in NXT? People are making a big deal about how great he is. People do you even know crazy. anything about this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people are basically gassing him up and being like oh you know that wwe really showed how tony is dropping the ball and blah 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 and, and basically just they're just using him as an excuse to do culture wars between these are, aew and these are, these are these are actual yeah. people <laughs> yes i mean you, you would think you know maybe according to tony they're all bots um yeah, or whatever they're, they're they're oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry like anyone that has like a passionate positive, positive opinion about brian pillman jr is not a real person to me yeah, no, not in <laughs> You know, like that is sure. just like, like I, I, I don't understand Brian Pillman being used, uh, yeah. as a, as, as a, as a vessel to justify any more uh, shit when it comes to AEW versus WWE. Like that's right. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah, just interesting, especially because on the same the NXT show that just happened that was like a. Hollywood Havoc or whatever the main event was Becky Lynch versus Lyra Valkyra um Valkyrie I didn't even realize because I've never watched her in NXT but that's Valkyrie from OTT um is Lyra yeah yeah and so Becky put her over she won the the title um and it'll be interesting because with the with the Observer Hall of Fame kind of stuff going on right now people are talking and I was having a conversation with old podcast co-host pete uh pete schumacher old pete shoe and he's talking about the roman reigns case um and you know people saying oh he's a slam dunk and i just you know i just don't see it because there's not really any signs of any proof of him moving any business metrics i don't think that he's in ring good enough to be a you know a slam dunk wrestling observer hall of famer based on just in ring work and when you don't have a ton of drawing power what else is there right um but with Becky now leaving NXT and her run there on top of just everything else that she's done, but being such a difference mover when it comes to being ratings, Rebecca, um, seeing what happens when she leaves now, how much like that affects the ratings as well can actually be, you know, it could be that study to show like, okay, with, with, you know, Becky Lynch ratings were up this much once she's gone, they drop back down or, you know, whoever else comes in is not moving the ratings at the same level that she was just to show that star power and that draw. I I think Becky Lynch, to me, just feels like a much better Observer Hall of Fame case than Roman Reigns. And again, this is talking about Observer Hall of Fame, which absolutely I don't think either of us really care that much about. But even just the most basic looking at it, like, does that seem out of the question to you? Like, am I crazy to say? I mean, I think better worker, honestly, than Roman. And I think has been proven multiple times to sell merch and to draw ratings, you know? Yeah, I think the work. I think the worker thing. I probably go, do go Roman over Becky, but like in terms of drawing drawing power and impact and significance, like there's no reason to like just shoo in and give that to Roman over Becky Lynch. Like I like it's like even if Roman like eventually did get like 
like ever like legitimately like super over in the last like year and a half or so. It's not like it's that much better or, or tangible or like a bigger deal than say like Becky at her peak. So right. like I think that I think that it like that is a very that is a very fair case if you're gonna do a Roman Reigns thing, but like you can't dismiss Becky either. Now I'm not sure I think I would vote for either of them if I if I had a ballot. But yeah. like I think that they're probably both like on the same level. I wouldn't vote for either of them though. Yeah. And and like I said, I think part of it too for me would be that I would I would personally my taste would say Becky better in ring because that's including also her indie work for years before that. Um where I always I was always a fan of hers even before she showed up in WWE. Um, and then on top of that, I, I just think that she's had better performances in WWE than Roman is good at what he does. And I think that people really enjoy him. But you've seen very little like when it comes to, you know, showing off different styles, having different kinds of matches like he does the WWE style main event match really well. And I'm not going to argue with that if people really enjoy that. Sure. But I just think that you have a more diverse in-ring case for Becky on top of that. Like, yeah, like he should be. At the level that he's pushed and been presented, he should be showing more positive business metrics, and he just does not. To where, yeah, I just think that it's comparable. Um, do you care about MJF versus Kenny Omega? Uh, and not just the match happening, but the idea that they should have built it more or whatever. Does that does that does that chap your ass at all, Quentin? They've done really big matches on TV already right. before <laughs> so like like i like I, I don't know it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird thing to like i saw i saw that there was an article put up put up about it yeah and i was definitely confused because this is still the same company that ran moxley moxley versus omega and brent danielson versus omega on Dyn on uh on on dynamite before so i'm a little i'm, I'm a little i'm a little confused by Suddenly, MJF and Kenny Omega being too big to do on Dynamite, especially with, with with where MJF is at right now. To be totally honest, that that's the thing right. that he could really use. So he needs this, yeah, yeah. Like he actually like needs something like that. So I'm I would, I'm always a little confused to see that because I'm like, if anyone's been very uh, free on putting like big stuff on TV, it's been AEW. Uh, yeah, they did. They did. Like, even if even if there were like circumstances behind it, like they did that Moxley and Punk thing on TV too. Like, it like it ha like it happens. They've done that before, right? Yeah, I mean, this is it's another it's one of those cases of the like when you're hot, you can't do anything wrong, and when you're not, you can't do anything right. You know what I mean? It's like people people are just gonna pick it apart because they're not hot right now, and, and it's like, easy to you go ahead. But even then, like. I'm not even saying it's in like an AW defense way. It's just funny, like how like some bad TV or like some like or, or some decisions that people don't like and have issue with can really like affect the dialogue around a company. Because even if the like the TV and like the overall product like has like a bunch of like super legitimate issues, I think it's still funny to sit there and talk about AEW as if like all in and all out both weren't like super major successes. Right. And like I feel like that gets lost in the AEW conversations. Like even if it were even if they weren't like like even if you even if your metric isn't like, oh they sold that many that many tickets, which means a subjectively a good show. Like even if you don't want to say that say that about all in. Like all out was a really good show. 
And what was the show they had just ran after that or something? Like I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting what they yeah. just ran after that. They did. Like, they, 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 they did all. They out did all in, and, and then they did all out right afterwards. Oh, and, and Wrestle Dream. Oh yes, and then they added in the Wrestle Dream, which also like, ended up yeah. I mean, but also ended up being a really good show. So right. whenever I see the AEW dialogue, it's like, yeah, like the TV and like the product have like super legitimate issues, and I don't think like anyone would disagree with that. But I think that because like now we're so wrapped up in like the TV product like conversation of things that like it's like damn like all out and wrestle dream are both like really really good pay-per-views so it's kind of like it's it's always been like this for aw and i think this is just like natural when you're going to be uh the second biggest wrestling company in uh, second biggest wrestling company in, in north america uh well at least in, in america I'm not gonna say north america right in america like if you're gonna be like if you're gonna be that then like this is just gonna be like the, like the conversation around you I was like, man, like this is still the same company that just like a few weeks ago, like where Wrestle Dream had like a bunch of really good matches on it. But it almost feels as if like if you're talking to like certain people, that it's like two different companies. And I guess like the TV quality and the pay per view quality is indicative of it being like kind of like two different companies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they diluted the market in a weird way. Collision does not feel necessary, but it is what it is. But but again, they're delivering to their consumers properly in those ways because you do have to keep in mind that these are they're different models and like wrestling is a different model in general which is that the tv product is delivering their consumer for the tv product is the network and the network is paying them to have a tv show on 52 weeks a year and pull a rating that's better than you know like reruns of monk or psych or whatever um and they deliver that so you know like it's hard to argue about that and then the pay-per-view serves the hardcore wrestling fans who feel like that they're not getting high quality wrestling matches from a, from a prestigious, highly, you know, uh, glossy North American wrestling company. And they serve that master as well, where people are more than willing to drop down $50 a month. And they're proving that they are willing to drop down $50 a month, if not more than once a month to get premium wrestling matches. So yeah, like, have to keep in mind and remember, right? It's the it's the old saying, right? If you if you if you don't know what the product is, then you're the product, right? When it came to like social media, like people have to remember that the TV show is not about serving nerdy wrestling fans. The pay per views are, and they do, and the TV is serving the master, which is the the network, and you know that's who's getting their bang for their buck on it. Um, the other part of it too is like the ticket sales. People are talking about the tickets and this and that, and they did the. Uh, mystico and popped that number really quick and showed that they can make a difference with the right name and then like i'm annoyed because i'm seeing all these people talking about the bogos and the half price tickets and this and that and oh nobody's showing up and this but they're running the kia forum for the second time here in in la and uh it's looking like this thing is going to sell out again so people can talk about whatever for the um for full gear so people can say oh ticket sales are soft but Ticket sales are soft in the same markets, the markets that they run over and over again. But when they go, they show that when they show up in new markets or different markets that are not oversaturated, there's still high demand and they're still selling really well in those places. So it's kind of tough to say. I mean, they did the same thing when they ran in Northern California for the the pay-per-view um, that had the, the Danielson Ironman match like that sold really well. It's like when they're in a pay-per-view and they're in a new market, they're selling really well. And obviously there's the, the UK show, the Wembley show, right? You got to look at that, but it is kind of like, okay, well, you know, like I don't really know 
what it is and and the real the biggest point is and i forget who you know said it but the people who are acting like the sky is falling because of their business metrics being down it's like you're comparing them to wwe that's been around for like 50 years and this is a four-year-old company and the idea you're actually kind of paying a really huge uh, amount of respect to aew by putting them on that level and saying that this company that's not even five years old is that should be at the same level as wwe they shouldn't even be in the same fucking conversation as WWE, but yet people are putting them in that conversation. So that's honestly a giant feather in their cap. Um, is there any other news or anything else? Maybe matches or something you want to talk about before we before we move on? Uh, no, I think that's it. I guess the only observer thing, well, I guess all observer Hall of Fame thing, if I'm sure. interesting, but the Bucks aren't about this year, right? Um, I believe. So yes, yes they are. Yeah, they, they're like a no, like no doubt slam, slam dunk for you, right? Right, right. Yes. Okay, I just like I didn't. I, yeah, I just like I feel like I've knew, I, feel, I felt like you agree, but I'm like I just want to make sure okay. that like like there there shouldn't even be an argument with no. them. There's really no question. Um, if anybody, if anybody really, really wants an argument, this is like again, this is not the place for it on the podcast here. But if someone wants to reach out to me, I'd be more than willing to give you like a decent argument that's not just you know the case article that gets retweeted every now and then by uh, Voices of Wrestling just to intentionally make people mad um, about oh, are we sure that Young know, Books are not the greatest tag team of all time or whatever? Like, I will give you the real you know argument for it if people really want it. You know, reach out, feel free. Um, but it's not just there's it's not just a trollish take. It's really there, and I will n- say I don't think that they're the best take. I've even gone on record in saying that I think that the Briscoes, who are also on the ballot, are actually a better were a better tag team at what people think of as the Young Bucks style match. Um, you know what I mean? So I'm not even trying. To, I'm not that person who's saying oh the Young Bucks are actually the greatest tag team of all time or whatever. Um, either way, the only other thing I'll mention, and I'll, I'll talk about it more when it gets closer and when it's happening, but. Uh, West Coast Pro running at the Don Quixote Theater. Again, I think they've ran there before. I haven't gone. It's literally like a 15-minute walk from my new place, which is really sick. But uh, I I bit the bullet and just instantly bought tickets for a show with only one talent announced. But you know what talent that was? Mio Momono. I'm just kind of like, okay, she's in my... Really in there, in my conversation for Wrestler of the Year. I got the chance to see her live. And like I said, in a building that's a 15 minute walk from me, it's worth it to me to buy tickets to the show just for that. So very excited for that. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah getting to see her live sounds like a, sounds like a treat. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to talk about DPW live. Speaking of live, live number three, the uh, second time that they're running in New Jersey. Um, I missed the Carolina Classic. I, we did not review it on the podcast. I was waiting and waiting for it to show up and didn't realize that I just never watched it um, because it had already came out and I just didn't notice. Um, so I went back and watched that before I watched this. I don't know if you ever ended up watching that or not. No, I did not. Uh, part of why I wanted to check it out was, um, number one, I had a bunch of really cool matches on it. And number two... There was a really kind of an important angle at the end of the show, or not even angle, but, you know, result at the end of the show that in some ways affects this show, um, which is that Lucky Ali loses the championship to Jay Malachi at the end of the show. Um, The show is like a one night tournament with the winner getting a title shot at the end of it. Jay Malachi wins. Obviously, Lucky Ali jumps him 
after he's been through a long night of having three matches. Um, and then basically, or maybe he only has two matches either way. Um, basically he's all beat up and he says, fuck it. You know, let's do Carolina warfare, uh, for the title right now. And they don't just go quick. They have a nearly 30 minute match after there had just been a almost 30 minute four way match before that, that Malachi was in, um, and Malachi wins the title and it did feel a bit rushed. It felt like they they kind of went through this storyline a lot faster than you'd expect, especially the way that the build had been. It seemed like this was going to be a long-term story telling. And then now there's kind of rumors and people talking that Lucky Ali and Jay Malachi are on the short list of people to get signed by WWE. So it's possible that DPW is rushing through this storyline to uh, because they're not going to have these guys much longer and they wanted to finish the story, which is pretty, it's pretty cool for them to do it. It sucks if that's why they're doing it so fast. Um, the other part of it is I could, the other reason why I can almost kind of believe it is that the kind of the glaring tone shift from DPW shows that we've watched in the past and this one, um, and we can kind of talk about it while we get into it, but I felt like this show felt a lot more like I hate to say it, but almost any super indie that just had a ton of really killer and don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, this was there was a lot of really, really good high octane moves spot matches, but a lot less of the storyline and the local flair than what I think I'm used to from a DPW show. Uh, Quentin, I know that's a lot there, but do you have any thoughts on any of the stuff that I just kind of laid out there? Uh, no, I think I think with Lucky Ali and Jay Malachi though, this is it's more than a rumor. Like it's like it seems like that they are going to report to the PC, and like if that's the case, then like that is like a really huge blow, like to like storytelling wise, and like how they got to rush through that story for like two of their big guys. So yeah, that like that that that's a huge uh, a huge blow for a huge uh, blow for sure. Um, because I I didn't get to see any of that. Uh, particular show where like where a lot of that stuff was unfolding but i am curious to see like in this situation how does dpw like figure out like a way to kind of like tie this stuff together for like the remaining time in which they have those guys available yeah and it is interesting the way that they seem to be going um i could definitely see kind of based on what we get here that we do you know malachi and price and we do ollie and colby and come out of that with maybe colby and price and i would you know i don't know i mean who knows what's going on with colby right but colby um, and price sounds awesome though like if, that, like if that's yeah. what the, if that's like a direction i like that colby and price sounds awesome yeah you know but who knows because to me my instant thought is like how do we get the title on colby as quick as possible because he's kind of your next guy that can be a, a big time dpw stalwart but at the same time like who knows when colby's gonna get signed again he was like right there on the cusp of getting signed just a little while ago you know so if they just sign ali and malachi colby could be gone as soon as you could see um so yeah yeah who knows who knows but um but yeah that is a huge blow for them and like i said i think it changes the complexion quite a bit um, and we can talk about it even here with the opening match on this show um rise above with marcus mathers taking on the miracle generation with alec price and this 
felt like it would be an opening scramble six-man tag on like a GCW show or something, you know, or wrestling open beyond, you know, limitless, something like that. This did not really feel like a DPW exclusive kind of matches. And that's kind of what I tend to get. Now that said, it was really fucking good. Lots of really unique, awesome spots. Rise above are fucking crazy. Like some really cool double teams from rise above, uh, really good triple teams with all, all the teams really working together to do a bunch of like nutty spots. Um, Kylan King just continuing to be just an absolute freak. I fucking adore Kylan King. We talked about him in the past, but like when he's going for the double uh, Northern Lights and he just kind of can't get it, but he just fucking, he has both guys in this insane, awkward position and muscles them both over into just like really nasty looking situation, but somehow pulls it off. Like it's just absolutely crazy. Um, Yeah, this was again, just like a ton of stuff to enjoy here. Um, but really did not feel like something you would expect from a DPW, especially not an opening match in DPW. They don't, they don't tend to do this. They don't do the throw six guys out there and have them just go nutty as their opening match. A lot of times that's not really a DPW standard as much as it is in a lot of other indies. Um, but what did you think? You're right. This like definitely isn't like a DPW thing but i think they picked like the right guys to go out there and like do something like that with um so i really liked that i thought this was a really really fun uh variation of this type of match and like obviously like, the bit like the biggest name here is, is alec price and as i'm watching him like alec price working like baby face in places isn't super isn't necessarily new but as i'm wa- as i'm watching him in this match i'm like man like I like watching him so much better, like in the ring as a babyface, and I get like the natural like heel sure. uh heel character appeal of him. Like I understand that. But I'm like, oh I'm watching, I'm like, oh, you're like a lot better as like just doing like babyface stuff as opposed to like in the ring, you like trying like trying to be a heel. Like they were just like it was a thing I've had for a while, but it was just like super glaring here, being in this like opening six man chaotic like chaotic super fun spot fest thing I'm like oh like you're like way better at this than like being like the baby being on the baby face side than trying to be the uh company leading heel yeah that's really interesting because it's something that i had not really thought about but then as you said it it just reminds me of it which is that like i was pretty high on alec price early on and i was basically telling everyone who would listen that they should book him and even getting pushback on let's say some you know some people who have some influence uh, in in some promotions being like you know oh I either kind of don't see it or not worth it um and then as he kind of his name started to get out there more more and more people kind of were negative on him like simon especially right we never never really liked him and i just as you mentioned that i'm like oh yeah like the reason why i liked him early on was when he was working as more of just like a young kid trying to prove himself. And he was not going over the top with the heel stuff that he started to do later. And that was when I really started to like him. And then when he did start doing more of that heel stuff, that was where where I think a lot of people did not see it as much as I did early on. So now I kind of, I kind of put that together. Um, Follow that up. We got LeBron Cozone taking on Kevin Blackwood here. Um, Quick match, but like, you know, Cozone's a local. This is a lot more of like a local DPW thing, but this also felt like just a go, go, go fucking spot match. And like, 
Blackwood, a guy who been up and down on, starting to like him more and more. But this, I really, really liked this with Kozone. I thought that like they were they were vicious, they were brawling. Kozone getting his mouth busted open was good. Um, just a real. This felt like a real fight, a real like plant your flag in the ground and make a name for yourself kind of battle between a guy who, you know, is just the local. Oh, you know, everyone here respects him. He trains a lot of these people, but nobody knows who he is. Planting his flag against the world traveling. Like he wrestles all over the country. People talk about him if, if they don't like him that much, but they're just going at it blow for blow, beating the shit out of each other. Just a really, really solid kind of proving ground style match. What did you what did you think of this one, Quentin? I'm in the, I'm in the same boat where I really, really liked Kozone here and Blackwood, who I've <laughs> said some really mean things about on here like he like he, i have no problem with him here like i actively enjoyed him here and like again this always is a testament to like position like positioning on a card and how you use someone utilize someone where kevin blackwood is able to cultivate this thing where he gets main event style bookings but in my opinion in a lot of people's opinions like he's just not very good in those spots he's not really impressive in those spots as to where when you put him further down the card or something that's a little bit like not as high profile, it looks a lot better and it comes across a lot better. So something like this comes across a lot better than like the Kevin Blackwood dream match stuff we were getting for a couple of years. So I really, I really enjoy this. I thought they were, I thought it was fun to be the shadow of each other. I like Kozone a lot. So I'm always happy to see, uh, one of his matches on the DPW show because I think he's just usually pretty good, but I, but I but I enjoyed this. I have nothing bad to say about this. And yeah, Kevin Blackwood is a lot better when they're not forcing him to be a main eventer. Yeah, doing him here in this role, like I said, being like a proving ground match with someone like and just beating the piss out of each other is much better than like trying to do a showcase Davy Richards, you know, kind of thing. Like like you said, like it's just not his spot. Um, up next, we've got three of the top wrestlers uh, in the world when it comes to like indie wrestling, basically, um, in in America and in Japan. Uh, Masha Slamovich, Mio Momono, and Takuma Aroha. Um, three, again, three wrestlers who you think of as like big time singles match workers, maybe even tag, doing a three way here. But Quentin, again, it's quick, but what did you think about this one? Yeah, yeah, this was fun. More on, more on the fun, more on the, on the fun side of things. I did enjoy the way in which they were trying to like tie this into like future DPW women's title implications. So I enjoyed like that being like a super heavy uh, aspect on the commentary. But I thought I thought this I thought this was more fun. Um, I think the person that probably stood out the most, uh, probably probably Masha, which again is giving a lot, a lot of credit for when she like is. Takumi Roha and Mio in there, and that's two world class wrestlers. And Mio might have a case of being the best wrestler in the world currently. So for Masha to stand out still amongst them really is, really is a testament to how great she is and just how much attention she can garner naturally. I enjoyed it. Not great again, so it was like a little on the shorter side and not like super structured or anything. But I did enjoy it, and I liked that it tied into like future uh, title stuff. Yeah, this is this was kind of as this match ends. I'm thinking like, okay, it feels like we're getting halfway through the show, and we're really just hitting like three 
spot matches, you know, and this one's quick. They're all quick. And it's just, it's moves, moves, moves. It's a lot of action. There's, I liked this one because while I think it would be easy to say, okay, there's not like psychology to it in like your real, like, you know, the people who basically are just checking off a list looking for whatever kind of like, you know, limb selling or something that that's, that's what makes it ha have a story. Like the story of this match was actually like the three way nature of it. And I thought like, I want to, you know, again, he said Mio, be, Mio being possibly wrestler of the year. I want to give her all the credit, but it's like Masha and Takumi also, like, they're all familiar with each other, which I think you mentioned commentary, and that's, like, always the the third man in the ring, as they say, even though, even in a, a triple threat match, you know, the, the, or what is it in basketball? Is it the sixth man? Um, the the extra the extra member of the team or whatever um, is always the commentary in uh, in DPW, which did a great job here to talk about that because they said, you know, on paper, a lot of people might think Mio and, and Takumi Aroha have the history with each other, but Masha and Mio were a tag team and they've tagged even relatively recently beyond just their initial, like kind of working together and, and Masha training with Mio early on in her career and all that. So there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of history between all three of the people in this match. It's not just, you know, oh, the two Japanese people who still work together regularly. You know, there's Masha is involved in that history as well. And um, and so that's why I can't just say, oh, you know, Mio gets the credit for this. But a big dynamic of the match was it was a three way match. And they did a lot of interesting and cool spots that involved all three people. You know, there was the 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 back and forth pin where they had all three people involved in it, even if Takumi was kind of just on the ground getting squashed. Um, there was the double and triple submission holds that were, you know, involving everyone in it. Um, there was a lot of, like, a lot of work done to play up the dynamic of it being a three-way match. And as I said, like, that is a psychology. That is a storytelling to a match. That is taking something that people don't even think of as a gimmick at this point. You know, people don't think of a multi-person match or a three-way match as being a gimmick, but it is. It's not a singles match. It is a gimmick match. And the gimmick is that there's three of them and they used that gimmick to its extent to make something special of the match that you can't do in a two-person match. So really appreciated that. Um, the stuff that you talked about with the, the storytelling implications when it comes to the women's title, I think was done really well um, because you do have, you know, three top contenders for the title um you did have on the previous carolina classic uh a match that i would definitely recommend people check out which is uh nicole matthews challenging amy sankara for the uh for the women's title that was absolutely phenomenal match so so yeah playing off of like all of that um following that up the it's a non-title tag team this is a actually i think they officially call this a proven ground match um the workhorsemen basically list an open challenge for anyone to come out and earn a title shot against them. You get violence is forever coming out saying, you know, it's not them and it's the grizzled young vets. And this is a major reason why I wanted to review this show. Uh, Cause we've got grizzled young vets, a team that me and you were both really, really high on before they went to WWE. Um, Zach Gibson, who at some points was in the conversation as the best wrestler in the world going up against Anthony Henry, who is perpetually in the conversation as one of the greatest wrestlers in the world. And the stuff between them when they were going at it early on was incredible. I've just Gibson. Um, I will. I was going to say hasn't missed a move, but you know, he's not quite there at the level that he was. He didn't really have the chance here, especially you got to keep in mind that he's working babyface here. That's never been his strongest suit. Even if he is good at, you know, good at it. And especially in a tag team setting like this, like, 
to me, the best Zach Gibson is always going to be singles heel, right? Like that's what he's best at. But here in there with Henry, I mean, just phenomenal. And then when the two Drakes tag in, I absolutely, it had not crossed my mind until the moment that they started wrestling that like, oh yeah, these guys used to have the same name. I completely forgot <laughs> that like JD Drake changed his name because there was another James Drake um, until they started wrestling. And then I was just thinking, I was like, you know, I've always thought of James Drake as being like the also and just the other guy in the Grizzled Young Vets. And then over time started to appreciate just how good he was in his role in the team. And, you know, he's not as good as Gibson. He's not great, but, you know, him and JD had some really neat spots together. Um, and do, you, do, you, do you remember that, though? Like that right. point in time where um like do you remember like just like on like uk wrestling twitter and like english english wrestling twitter that james yeah. drake was just so disliked yes like it was, yeah it was it was a really it was wild. crazy people like, fucking like, hate he's not that bad like jesus yeah. <laughs> no he's he's really good in his role he's had some good performances he does his stuff like and he just ended up in just the perfect spot for him and and when the match was going and I saw him come out, I just, I absolutely marked out because I'm like, even to this day, even after all of the times that it became like people chanting and making fun of him and all of that, James Drake still has his own face on his ass. And I was just thinking about when the progress crowd was singing, uh, yeah. you know, it has the whole world in his hands, but has the his own face on his ass. And I'm just like, he will never not have his own face on his ass he's just he's committed to it and i just think that that's fucking great um i really really enjoyed the finish i thought that even doing like a convoluted whatever everything and all that like you still gave me you pretty much solidly delivered what is like in some ways a dream match you know and then but then still had a fucked weird finish but gave me a, a an acceptable enjoyable finish to give the workhorseman kind of an out but also they were trying to cheat and grizzled young veterans get now a title match where we can follow this up and give me, you know, give me the more, the real build into the dream match. Talk about the Kenny Omega versus MJF thing, right? They, this is how you do it. You give like something, you don't announce it. And then you tease me to want the bigger match. Um, but yeah, Quentin, what, what, what were kind of your thoughts on this one? One, well, it's definitely just good to see the grizzled young vets again. And well, this match was good, and I enjoyed it because workhorsemen are really good heels too, and really young vets are just really good at wrestling, and they can work any role. My thought was, damn, how much better would this be if the roles were reversed, and this was Grizzly Young Vets as the heels and workhorsemen as the baby faces? And I was like, man, like that part of things sucks, and I hope maybe at some point we can get a version of that. Where we get the roles reversed, but but I still I still just enjoyed it because one I just miss seeing those guys, and this is four really good tag team wrestlers going out there and just having a really really solid match and having ridiculously good chemistry. You know, you mentioned you mentioned you mentioned Henry and uh, and Gibson. I thought I thought Gibson I thought Gibson and JD had good chemistry. I thought uh, the both the Drakes had good chemistry. I would like to see more of this happen. So since they won this match, obviously, like that's something that they're going to build towards and going to be a going to be a bigger situation ideally. But 
I'm like, man, this would be so much better if the roles were reversed. But I'm still happy with what we got. I'm not going to complain too much. But that was my thought that this would be better if we got in a different uh, if, if we got in a different context. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that's what we get. Especially you got G. Uh, uh, oh, jeez, what am I doing? Gyv uh, Grizzled Young Vets. I always, I've always hated that name, especially knowing that it feels like it came from fucking uh, Doc Gallo's podcast or whatever. Like whatever. Anyways, um, like they, they, you know, they wanted to leave NXT, leave WWE to show what they could do without being fucking held back by the style, without being held back by not being put all this and that. And like the workhorsemen, I mean, you gotta think that that's a team that they've just been wanting to wrestle this whole fucking time, right? Like, I mean, come on. That's like, they, they, again, it feels like a match made in heaven. And then you watch it and you see exactly what we're talking about. And this, as you said, this is not even, this is not even my final form basically is what we end up getting here where it's like, imagine this match with the roles reversed, you know, imagine this match with a bigger build with more on the line and you just get the clean matchup. Like, and even like I say, clean, like the best part of the Zach Gibson matches was always, him figuring out the funkiest most fucked up way to cheat right like so when i say clean i want i I, that's what i want i want that gibson i want that his fucking gold of just coming out with a way to be a complete and utter prick um so yeah like again this was great but it's barely even the start and just hope to assume that grizzled young vets wanted to prove themselves and this is a match that they're going to want to have multiple times um that said, I mean, Tony Khan would be absolutely stupid not to try to snap them up instantly. You know, you're talking about just instantly freshening up your tag team division with one of the best teams out there. But he's also got the work horsemen under contract, and all he does with them is have them wrestle in ROH. So, you know, maybe he doesn't really care that much about this. Like, we'll see. But, yeah. Um, follow this up again. We're just having a night of all just banger, banger match matches. Like, the tag team match had a little bit more story and a little bit more you know, psychology, everything else going on in there and the funkiness at the end, but really it was just kind of a dream match with a ton of spots. Four-way DPW national title match, Brian Keith, Dominic Guarini, Kevin Koo, and Speedball Mike Bailey. Um, They give these guys plenty of time to go out here. Um, And in a match with four of the best wrestlers in the world, four of the guys who just absolutely get incredible tons of hype, to me, coming out of it, Brian Keith is the fucking man. Like, it's just, he's just phenomenal. I keep seeing him, and he just delivers every time. Just so good. And he doesn't even need to do a ton. He just he just does. But, Quentin, what did you think about this four-way? Yeah, this, Brian Keith, he just, it, it's, you see it when you see him. And, that's a that's a testament to again when you're in there with Dom and Kevin Koo and Mike Bailey that you see Brian Keith and yeah he's a champion there he's a DPW regular but he still pops off the screen in a certain way that you just see like that guy needs to be somewhere highlighted and that, that needs to be happening at some like some point soon he just has that quality to him so. Even in, even in the introductions and as and points during the matches, he just he just has it with the crowd. That connection, that buy-in, that credibility, that they're with him all the way on everything that he does. Um, this is really fun too. So this is another four-way, and 
you know, there's some comedy stuff in here and some chop spots and exchanging strikes and everything here. So even though it was four really, really awesome wrestlers, they're clearly doing something that's not exerting too much effort and it still runs a little short. But how, how, long, how long does it go? Like 10 minutes? Maybe like maybe a little bit longer. I don't know. Oh, it's almost but, 20 minutes. But it's almost 20 minutes. I'm not, yeah, I don't, yeah. Know, I don't know. I guess it's a testament. It felt shorter though. Yeah, yeah, it, did, sure. it didn't feel like the match dragged on. It felt like a shorter match because I was completely entertained by it the whole time. Um, but yeah, with, with this with this type of stuff, uh, you're not expecting it to be the most nuanced or psychology or psychology driven or story driven here, and it wasn't. And you talked about the history, and, and they talked about the history of Brian Keith and Mike Bailey, and they talked about the history of the uh, um, of Vazas Forever and them interacting with each other and working together and turning on each other when they needed to. And I still, and I enjoyed it. So this was really fun. I, hmm. I'm not sure there's one match of the night, but I, but, I had, but I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's, it's tough because I think in some ways this is my match of the night, but in other ways I like, I have to, I'll, I'll just say, I'll just give it, I have to give it to the main event. Um, And it's weird just because of like, I'll explain it when we get there, but yeah, but you talk about Brian Keith, and it's just like, again, he's in there with three world-class, top-of-the-line like wrestlers that people know. But the thing is, is that he's got, you know, he's got history with all of them. He's had amazing chemistry with all of them. Talk about the history between him and Bailey, but I mean, him and Koo in Time Bomb Pro, him and Dom as well in Time Bomb Pro. Like these, he's the kind of the linchpin of the whole thing, and obviously he's the champion. But like everything about like the dynamics between the four guys all kind of again circle around him and the way that he the way that you talk about just having it like even the back chop bit which was already stupid enough like when he does throw just a nasty back chop to to speedball which leaves an insane mark like it's not even just how good the chop was It, it makes this crazy sound it leaves an intense mark the fact that he took the time to adjust the mullet before the back chop that's the it you know what i mean that's the the star factor he's not just going through the motions like everybody else just doing it he's doing something to make himself stand out and another part during that sequence like when ku throws the back chop to keith keith just gives him this point and this knowing look that just it just speaks volumes again it just talks about him having this it this just like this insane like star factor charisma on top of everything else like the guy is just just comes across so natural and so smooth in there and just doing that little stuff is the okay this guy is ready for for the big time like he's been grinding it out on the indies and the people who know know but like he is fucking ready again and the promo that just came out with him calling out brian danielson is fucking so sick like, yeah, this guy is just, he's there. He needs to be in a bigger spot. He needs to be, you know, getting getting that big money because it's just phenomenal. Um, follow this up. You get the Jordan Oliver versus Jay Malachi DPW world title match. It feels like a token Jay Malachi needs to get a defense under his belt kind of situation. Um, which I definitely see. But at the same time, this really felt like an eye-opening experience in a weird way for me 
for Jordan Oliver because I've been really, really negative on Jordan Oliver in the past. One of the worst wrestlers getting a push, one of the worst wrestlers on big, you know, big presentation, this and that. Like he is aggressively fine here. He is absolutely a guy that was okay for this role of, again, being a token. This guy needs to get a championship challenger. By the end of it, it was like, you know what? Jordan Oliver was absolutely fine for this. Like, if not, you know, I would not, this is not going to end up in my match of the year list, anything weird like that. But they did pretty good with the back and forth playing off of the, them both having basically the same finishing move. They hit some really cool athletic spots, you know, like, and Jordan Oliver actually had some like grinding on the mat submission work and stuff like that, that actually looked legit and looked believable. Like, Again, Jordan Oliver is a guy that I fucking just thought was dog shit. And he has gotten to the point where it's like he's a completely acceptable wrestler. And that was that was kind of, again, like I said, kind of eye-opening in some ways to see like where he's gotten to. Because I know people have talked, you know, the tag team with him and Nick Wayne was, was oh, you know, he's actually getting better on this and that. And I never really saw anything. But I'm really starting to see, like, okay, do I think he needs to get booked at the top of cards challenging for cha- championships? Probably not. But am I is Jordan Oliver... An, instant turn off the tv at this point probably not like i will be more than willing to check out his matches now depending on opponents and situations and stuff i will continue to watch jordan oliver more than i would have in the past but uh quentin what did you think of this i'm basically in the same thing but i think i'm almost like a little less impressed than you because i still thought okay he's not like definitely like far below good but he, he wasn't offensive for me he wasn't defensive, and I'll be honest, like, I'm not like super big on Jay Malachi either, honestly. So this was a, this was a match I just kind of like my eyes kind of glazed over, and I was like, oh, all right, like that's fine. especially kind of early on as they're going through going through some of their sequences and they get a little sloppy, they get a little, a little sloppy with it, which is fine. It's not like always super match killing, but when you're doing that type of style and you're trying to do acrobatic stuff and stuff really based off like a synchronization and choreography like it's just when when that when that timing is off and when it gets sloppy it can just be hard to kind of like get me back into the match so uh i thought it was okay. i thought i thought it, i thought it existed i i wasn't offended by it i didn't feel like it was the worst waste of my time or anything offensive like that it existed in for jordan oliver that is like that like that is an improvement i'll say that yes yeah and yeah i definitely get the jay malachine thing uh i'm not like i don't think he's the greatest worker i think he's got a ton of potential he's got the it when it comes to charisma and star factor and a good look um and he seems athletic enough to where you could make something and honestly he's one of these guys where i would not be shocked if in a couple months if in a year in NXT, we're not saying like, okay, they actually made this guy a better wrestler. You know what I mean? Like, you, it can happen, especially when someone is getting paid to focus on wrestling more than you know. Like, some people just don't have the. You've got real life. You got everything else going on, and when it's not like, you know, your number one, the only thing that you got going on, it's it's easy to like not focus and work as hard. And maybe, maybe we'll see. I think that it's very likely with like with just the vibe I get from him that being able to focus purely on wrestling and have all of that at his disposal, he will actually improve quite a bit um, in the performance center situation. 
it sucks because I think the opposite of Lucky Ali, who I think that Lucky Ali would have actually just continued to get better and better on the indies forever, but we'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, the I definitely get where you're coming from because yeah, there's like sloppiness, there's he's not like the most thoughtful wrestler, all that kind of stuff, but he's got something there, he's got star power, he's got some athleticism, you know. But the main event, uh non-sanctioned, cruel combat, last man standing. Um, I don't know. I feel like we've talked about cruel, but I don't know if I can think off the top of my head, like Quentin, what, it, how do you feel about cruel in general? Like what, what, what is your opinion of the cruel wrestler? You know, obviously we've seen him before without the mask. We've seen him in different places with a different mask. Um, but what do you think about the cruel character? Have you been following a lot of the the cruel lore when it comes to all of the deathmatch promotions on IWTV and stuff? Like, where are you at on this guy and like what you think of him? Um, I have never liked Logan Creed ever. Uh, so <laughs> cruel just okay, exists. Fair. I feel like I feel like he I feel like he does the thing. If I feel like he does this act, it does this act decently. In a way that, like, um, I think can, can cover up for a lot of his uh, flaws, but still, I've I've just never been a Logan Creed fan anywhere for for years now. I just have never been able to do it with this guy. So, no, I have not. Uh, I, I have not paid attention to him across like the IWTV universe and all the death death match promotions, and um. Maybe maybe I should because maybe he does just like just straight up like work a lot better in those contexts. And um, I will say that the times I have seen him versus if it's on like a, a no holes barred or here versus Colby or something like that, that I I've enjoyed him more in those scenarios. But yeah, like I've just never been a Logan Creed guy ever. That I I absolutely do not argue with that you on that. I remember talking about like I said, the masked gimmick that he was doing. And I felt, I don't know. I, I'm not, again, I'm not a Logan Creed aficionado. I didn't follow the timeline, but the way that I saw it was he was doing the Mads Krieger gimmick in MLW. They put him in a mask. He started to kind of figure out this, this character there and then transitioned out of MLW onto the Indies back into a bunch of different places and kind of, did the same, a similar character, but kind of upped the violence quotient again with the deathmatch settings and really kind of, you know, has built on it. The thing about it is that I am not going to sit here. And that's why I said, even I kind of prefaced it earlier about like the idea of this being the match of the night. I am not going to sit here and tell you that you really should be watching Cruel and you should be following all this stuff. I just happen to have been following it, especially like the drama with him and the Kirks. Like he talked about the stuff in, in the no holds barred, all that stuff. Like it just kind of tangentially, it's happening on the side of the thing. He won the IWGP, I, IWTV championship. Um, and then, you know, there's weird stories and all this possible injury, possible whatever about him losing that title, all that. But what he is, is he's very effective in this role. And he's kind of a tool for you to use. And that's why I say, much like the drill that Colby brought to the ring, um, Colby is just insanely effective at using cruel 
to deliver a really, really impressive performance. Um, so yeah, that's kind of kind of where I come down on all of it. But Quentin, what did you think about the actual Cruel's Combat Last Man Standing match here? Um, a really good Kobe, Kobe Carino performance, and Cruel was good doing his like great value Mil Muertes thing. I guess you know, like it, it, it's, yes. it's it's fine. Like it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a good enough thing to be able to bounce off of. It's a good enough canvas to to work to work with. That like I can't. I don't have like anything like super negative to say about it. But it very much is the Colby show, and, it, and like that's the nature of matches like this. I think a lot of the time where you're doing uh, little guy versus monster type of stuff, or valiant babyface versus monster type of stuff, that it is really about like the babyface performance. So, um, Colby definitely played the part here and was great. And cruel was cruel was a cruel was a good canvas to work with there. So from that aspect, I have nothing negative to say about it. I don't love this match because if I'm being honest, again, when cruel is as limited as he is in in a lot of different departments, he doesn't do anything necessarily necessarily elevate the match or make the match better. And a lot of that levity and like the best moments from this match are all coming from Colby and it's not even necessarily like regarding like regarding spots a lot of that is regarding facial expressions and things like that and body language that I think Colby does really well that I'm not getting from Cruel so if Cruel was better this was a better guy in this spot then this could have been a better match but like you know for for what it is, for what it's worth, for the context, for the person that he's bad, for for the content, for the person he's wrestling, I thought this was I thought this was solid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of you hit a lot of the stuff that that speaks to me in here. You're absolutely correct on a lot of what you say there. the 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 other side of it is like I abhor last man standing matches. I find it to be one of the worst gimmicks in all of wrestling. Um, I just think that it's honestly the antithesis of what is ingrained in most of people to how you watch a wrestling match how you get enjoyment from a wrestling match having so much of the you know the basic understanding and expectations of how wrestling matches end and work in general just being completely subverted in a way that uh that takes away from your natural inclination while you're watching and enjoying it makes it like impossible for me to appreciate um, and with that said, like, that's a big part of why I really, really enjoy this as well is because, Col again, it's the Colby show, as you said, and Colby does such a great job of not letting the gimmick be overbearing and ruin the flow of the match and ruin the match in general. Even the finish, I thought, was executed perfectly to use the gimmick, but not have it take away from kind of the, the catharsis and the pop of the situation. He did an insane crazy ass stunt bump he did not only did he do the crazy insane stunt bump but he like he built to it so he didn't just like have it come out of nowhere it took a while to get to it it and this is like i don't know you know it's it's always tough to say when it, you're dealing with something like barbed wire but like the way even just the way that the blood was streaking on his body from the lacerations off of the tornado ddt that was the finish it was like enthralling and captivating so that it continued to like kind of again take away 
from the negatives of the of the last man standing situation, the commentary again did a great job of putting it over to just be like, look at him, look at the streaks of blood running across his body, look at the 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 gore and the viscera that's happened to him. So you're not even, again, you're uh, to me, I'm not like taken out of it and just bored with the idea that I'm just listening to a referee count to ten for the hundredth time or whatever. Like I'm still enthralled in what's going on. So I just because the finish was executed so well. Because I absolutely adore Colby. Like, you know, we we didn't end up doing the top 50 list last year, but like I debated over and over again, and I will put out a 50 list for last year at some point here. I'll try to get it before the end of the year. Um, Like Colby could have ended up being my wrestler of the year. He's no lower than top five. And so when you talk about a match where he is able to just shine purely just Colby, bumping and selling and being you know being unique with the violence bringing a fucking drill to the ring for the monster taking insane bumps again cruel like <laughs> wearing a mask so you don't even have to deal with the fact that like he's not a good seller he doesn't have to really sell so you just he's just there for colby to do everything and he really executes everything perfectly i adore colby carino i think he's one of the greatest wrestlers on the planet um i thought that Again, executing a match type that I usually just fucking hate so well. That's why I say, like, at the end of the day, I look at this as, as a triumph as my match of the night because of that, because of overcoming so much um, and delivering a, a you know cathartic storyline with everything else involved and just giving, like, even just being pleasing viscerally with the fucking violence and the blood and the weapons and all of that. Like I really get a ton out of it. The way that he did the, the evil horse collar chair spot, like even that's a thing where like Colby is such a pro because not only did he execute it to where it looked violent, but if you're really paying attention, like it was insanely safe. Like that's the stuff where I just really appreciate how great Colby is as a worker. Um, Cause yeah, I just, I think the world of Colby Carino and the fact that he's able to pull something like this off where again, it's a blank canvas like I said, the real point of this is just how he's able to use someone like Cruel in this setting. And and again, Cruel is good at this, you know, at just being kind of a lump of clay for someone to make something out of. And I've seen a ton of Cruel stuff with lesser wrestlers, and they're just not able to make something like this out of it. So that's part of it. So all of that combined is why I say, like, to me, coming out of it, this is the match of the night. When, when it comes to just, like, wrestling, wrestling, yeah, probably the four ways, the best match, but... Quentin, you now I don't know what you thought was the best match of the night. So I, I you got to tell me what you, what uh, kind of were your thoughts as what was actually the best match on the show. Uh, I think I think I probably would still go with Grizzly Young Grizzly Young Vets and Workhorse, okay. even though I think okay. there's like a better version of that match that exists. I still would probably just I probably still probably go with that. But like, it's not like I have that head and shoulders above everything. Like even with what I said about uh, the main event, I still would have a consideration for match of the night for sure and. Have it have it in that tier, um, the LeBron the LeBron and Kevin Blackwood match honestly would probably some be somewhere in the conversation. Even the six man opening tag, so right. I have a lot of that stuff kind of in the same tier. So I don't think Workhorseman versus uh, versus uh, the GYV is head and shoulders above that stuff. Well, okay, and then that speaks to my initial point on this show. And having this show not feel like almost the stereotypical or what I've 
gotten used to a DPW show. And I hate to say this because DPW has been running strong as like a shadow promotion of the year, you know, for a long time, running really neck and neck with action wrestling a lot of times or DDT, whatever, um, is that this was a very solid from top to bottom show. And DPW tends to have peaks and valleys, highs and lows, and a lot more locals, a lot more unique flavor. And this felt like a lot of the same, a lot of stuff that was at the same level of quality and nothing that really stood out in a, really a lot of ways. I mean, wrestling wise, I think Brian Keith, Colby Carino, those were the big standouts. You could say Masha, Mio, but really to me, like those were the the top two big standout wrestlers on the show. And in the past, like a DPW show would have, you know, Lucky Ali, like standing out, Andrew Everett, like that kind of like people who were unique to DPW. And you're just not really seeing that here. Um, and again, elephant in the room. If they're getting their top stars are getting pulled, people who you wouldn't expect to disappear like that are just, you know, getting signed and going away. What do you think? How does the future of DPW look to you? Is it obviously it's probably very premature to call like, oh, they're dying based on this. But what do you think about that? Did you kind of are you with me? Do you see what I'm talking about? That it feels like a little bit of the character of what made DPW stand out is scarily kind of missing on this show. Oh, you feel like this may, like maybe the beginning of a transitional period with with uh, sure definitely yeah yeah I you know I I I can see that um I will say with DPW and how they have existed so far and occupy space and wrestling that I do trust the people there to keep wanting to find and use original talent I think that that is something that they actively do care about and pay attention to. So there will be times in which it might not feel like the most DPW or DPW shows, I feel like. And I'm not going to sit there and speak from a standpoint as if I'm an ardent viewer. But I think that those guys do care about keeping their product original, having guys that you can only see on DPW or only getting like prominently featured on DPW. And that is an appeal and something that they like doing and that they pride, them pride themselves on doing. So, like, I think that, like, as of right now, as they're going through stuff where two of their top guys may be on the way out very, very soon, that you might get bigger, super show-feeling stuff that doesn't have that flair or uniqueness to it. But I think, overall, that's something that I would still think is part of the future for them or part of something that they care about doing. And I, I think you're probably right. You, I think, are a little bit more in tune with the their other side of things, which is something that I forget, is this is not just a another wrestling promotion that books, you know, and they're just trying to make money off of this. These guys really don't need to be doing this. <laughs> like, they are funding this off of another side stream. Yeah, like, that's, like, that, like yeah. These, yeah, these are people that don't need wrestling, like, you know, like wrestling promotion money at all. Like, yeah. I don't know how much how much they're even making off of this, but they're doing it just because they like doing it, and they, like there's no they, there's no reason to do it. So I think that there's definitely a, a joy that comes out of being able to do things like 
oh, you're the first promotion to sit there and feature Bojack and Lucky Ali and Jay Malachi and all these type of guys, and then also bringing in like Gato, the, the the women from Gato Pro, from Gato Move and things like that. Like, yeah. that's something that they enjoy doing and care about, and is part of how they do things. So, I I, I think that DPW as is currently constructed is going to have some issues because yeah, you know, you're losing two top guides, but otherwise, I don't I don't anticipate like a loss of identity necessarily. We're probably just trying to figure out like what's next. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And there's there's obviously stuff to talk about. I think something from the Carolina Classic that was kind of a standout was like the way that they used a couple people that maybe I've seen in other places, but could definitely see them doing something bigger with them. Like they had Ichiban, Jake something, and Shun Skywalker, and all three of them really felt kind of unique and and felt like they could use them moving forward even bigger in DPW. So. Again, like you said, they're just they'll restock, they'll refresh. But Quentin, um, feel like we went longer than we were supposed to. <laughs> it's a it's not a school night, but it's close enough. Um, I will just say, follow me on Twitter, ROH Dutch. Follow my other show at Heat Death Pod, Heat Death of the Universe. Um, and Quentin, you can feel free to plug everything else and close the show out. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can. Follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. If you're feeling so kind, you could uh, donate to my attempts to buy all of the Blood on the Tracks manga volumes. I think there's like 15 of them, 13, maybe. I don't know. So if you want to just help me co- complete a series, then I would really appreciate it. I don't really want to go anywhere right now, so I'll just I'll take I'll take the manga, and that's all right. But thank you guys for listening, and hope you're here next time. Yeah.